Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another uh, evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. As we are doing here on Fridays, we are about breaking open Scripture for Sunday. And as I noted last week, certainly... Uh, given our time constraints, while I would love to engage all the readings and, and pick them apart, um, as we had been doing with the Catholic Hour, Why Be Catholic, we're going to uh, focus in more often than not with the Gospel. So we have this last Sunday before Lent, the wonderful opportunity afforded us uh, to be able to reflect on the Sermon on Trust. Of course, a sermon that is within the larger Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so more generally speaking, we look at uh, Matthew chapters 5 to 7 as the Sermon on the Mount, and it is within that sermon that Christ gives us a teaching, a catechesis, if you will, on trust and God's providential care. And in the wisdom of the church, this comes to us just before Ash Wednesday, right? Because this gospel that we have for us today really focuses us in on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, with that, what I'd like to do is just jump right in. Again, uh, this is Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. So if you have your Bibles out there, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. I will go ahead and read this gospel and then really get into the essence of what our Lord is is telling us. So, as follows. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Amen. So, okay, this is our reading for this Sunday. And before I get into the verses themselves, to really understand these verses, I think it would be important to get to the previous verse as well and speak to that. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you now Matthew 6, verse 24, to kind of set up our, our evening tonight. And Matthew 6, 24 reads as follows. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. All right. So really our readings today start off with the need to look at the relationship between God and money. And when we say mammon, it's really not enough to say money because ultimately the word mammon in the Aramaic is uh, love for money, right? Or uh, trusting money. This would be the proper uh, definition. So we cannot just say wealth, money, capital. We have to say the love for money, the absolute trust given to capital, money, so on and so forth. So what is our Lord about then in these readings? What does he want us to see? That in the end, as much as we want to experience all the possibilities of experience at once, it in the end will fail. And we want to cling to the lasting beauty of spiritual realities without letting go of our addiction to physical and emotional enchantments of our daily life. We want the sweetness of prayer and simultaneously the allurements of materialism. God says this is impossible. He says you cannot serve. Human energy cannot be distributed in this way. We cannot pledge our allegiance to two things that are diametrically opposed to each other. It's interesting, the word serve in the Greek speaks to a permanent condition of slavery. Now, for clarification, a slavery that is not imposed as much as something out of um, you know, our control, but a slavery that is willingly given. Okay, That is to say, I give all of myself to you, God. This is the kind of service or slavery that, that Christ is talking about. Or, on the flip side, <laughs> to say, I give all of my energy to the pagan god of mammon, money, right? So, again, getting underneath the language is very important. Uh, just not money or wealth, but the love of money with the Aramaic being best translated as trusting money. Now, in light of this, and if there is more insight to be gained on this matter, it could be found in its relationship to the Aramaic word for amen. That is, as I speak to mammon. You know, 
we use the word amen to say what? I believe, I count on, I stand firm with. It is, it is, it is the great so be it. What Christ wants us to see is that the trust we are to give to the God of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are giving to the God of, of money. It is to bring us back into an appreciation of the first commandment with the first beatitude. Now, what is the first commandment? God first. Before anything and anyone else, God first. When you look at the Ten Commandments structurally, what do you see? That sequence is important. The first three commandments are about what? Putting God first. The next seven commandments are basically what our life should look like in light of putting God first. So there is this uh, play on words here that Christ gives us, that Matthew records. We are putting a priority on money, and just not money itself, but an absolute trust in it. You see, God is saying that trust belongs, Jesus is saying that trust belongs to God and God alone, right? It is the in God for other moment. If we are going to be properly to disposed to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can only do so if we are first formed and informed in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why you hear me say time and time again why this in God moment must always precede for other. It is to quest, to inquire in our relationship with God. All right, Lord, where do you want me to go? Over here, over there. I mean, there's a thousand things that are out there that need to be done within the context of the Christian and Catholic faith. We need to be out there serving the homeless. We need to be in the convalescent homes. We need to be evangelizing. But we cannot be all these things at once. Do one thing and do it well. And enter into that relationship with God so that we might understand what that means. And what that looks like in our life. Now that being said, this also brings us into just not the first commandment, but the first beatitude. That beatitude and that verse which kicks off the whole Sermon on the Mount. You've already heard me read Matthew 6, 24 to 34, this Sermon on Trust. Okay, this whole sermon starts with the beatitude of blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs shall be the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. The Greek there, penuma. The word where we get uh, breath, lung. And the idea here, once again, is in God for other. That we might long for God the same way our lungs long for air. That when we are in that state of being, and we have acquired that kind of interior attitude of faith, we are then properly disposed to do what? 
well, to live the paradoxical promises that are the Beatitudes. That charter for holiness that calls us forth to live in the virtues of Christ. So the whole foundation of the Sermon on the Mount rests, rests on that one verse. So this is why we spend time talking about it, because we cannot appreciate Matthew 6, 24 to 34, if we do not first bring into our conversation that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, in the Hebrew, the anawim of God. Those who are totally and entirely dependent upon God for anything and everything. Their whole existence is hinged to the very life of God. As one Italian theologian, Father Canto de Mesa, you've heard me quote him before, said, this first beatitude is about having a poor person's soul. Right? We hear Paul talk about it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. This is what the first beatitude is about. And when you have that disposition that comes out of the first beatitude, we can then better understand this sermon on trust, right? We cannot cling to the material world, the security that we think we attain by increasing our wealth. Christ, in the end, wants us to see that the worship of money is unmasked at a deeper level as the cult of anxiety, a preoccupation that entraps our souls. We get so preoccupied with things, constantly glancing at this or that, never focused on what God wants us to do. That singular laser-like focus that God asks of, of us in everything that we do. This is what this Sermon on Trust is about. You know, if you're anything like me, you are a, a bit of a worry wart. <laughs> you know, do not be anxious. Do not be preoccupied. Do not worry. It's all the same thing. These series of verses are very important to me personally uh, because it's a great challenge, you know, to be able to let go and just let God work in the rhythm of the everyday life that is caught up in what it means to be in a living relationship with, with God. You know, I have my, my good days, my good weeks, my bad days, my bad, my bad weeks. But my good days, my good weeks, my good months come when I give everything to God. Even that one thing that you may think he doesn't even care about, that's the thing that he cares most about, you see. We uh, have a quote out there, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, I, I get what that quote means, but God wants to be in the minutia of everything that we do, because it is then, and only then, that not only does the first beatitude awaken within us, but at the same time, at the same time, do we come to understand what it means to give everything to God, that it that we, our lives, may be a testimony to 
every moment being a sacramental moment, that every moment belongs to God. This, again, is what this uh, passage is all about. These series of verses is all, are all about. Um, so, Christ wants us to see that we betray ourselves when we become slaves to our lowest needs. And this, again, brings us back into that need to say, all right, we have to stop moonlighting about what money can bring us. Because ultimately, the, exha- the exhaustion <laughs> that comes from that saps the very fervor and life of God that we are to share with the world. We must rest and rest with God. This is a, a beautiful thing that we just need to you know, grab hold of and start thinking about more critically. So for all of that, getting more specifically into some of these other verses, you know, verse 25 of today's gospel indicates two major areas of concern for the human being. Sustenance, that is food and drink, and how they are necessary for life. And clothing. Each of the areas is addressed in an argument that rests upon, we can properly say, a New Testament logic. Food verses 26 to 27, clothing verses 28 to 30. The logic is this. If God takes such care of the birds in the air and ensures their feeding and sees to it that the lilies of the field are magnificently adorned, how much more then will our heavenly Father take pains to see that the disciples shall not go wanting, since they are more precious in the divine sight than the birds of the year and the flowers of the field? Think about it. For those of you who are parents out there, let's put this into our world. We go out of our way to make sure that there's food on the table, that there are clothes to wear. Putting this in the context of our own relationships, I think we can begin to understand what our Lord is saying. He is simply doing something that we all need to do. And that is, before we get so caught up in all the things that we cannot control, focus in on what we can and let God seize control of our lives. And Jesus does this in a very, in a very fun way. You know, this, this beautiful analogy. And he does so in a way that I, I think we can learn from. You know, you have heard me talk about the new evangelization, the call to essentially renew the mission, to just not evangelize souls out there, but to renew our own interior life. That before cultures change and societies change, people first must change. Okay, how do we do this? We evangelize the imagination, right? We evangelize the imagination. This was a a huge piece for uh, Blessed John Paul II, soon-to-be saint. Why? Because ultimately, we need to stir the heart with visuals that we might render so that the, the mind can begin to, to see things anew. This is what Christ does. He talks about birds in the air. 
He talks about the lilies of the field. Look at his parables. He's talking about mustard seeds. He's talking about dough. (laughs) He's talking about fishing nets. He's talking about pearls. He's talking about these things that would provoke within us a sense of stirring, if you will, that we might imagine, that we might be able to see things differently. And at the same time, in seeing things differently, think more critically. This is, this is what Jesus is about as a Rabboni, as a master teacher. He's asked over 300 questions and over 300 times, all but two or three times, he answers the question with a question. Why does he do it? So as to provoke within us an ownership of the question. He wants us to take ownership of our faith. And he does so as a master catechist, right? Provoking the mind, provoking the heart. He uses things that are familiar to explain things that are unfamiliar. He makes comprehensible what for so long was incomprehensible. And he does it with images and storytelling. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I want to speak to here the birds and lilies a little bit because what he's talking about here is in the end this idea of soaring, in the end this idea of a beauty that lies therein. We, when we are the sons and daughters of Christ that we are called to be and return to our original identity and purpose in life, there is a beauty. There's a newfound freedom. You know, Christ focuses on, you know, fear in this sermon. The opposite of love is not hate, but fear. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 15, that we did not receive the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, Father. We entrap our souls. We, all, we leave our souls all but incarcerated when we are caught up in fear. You know, the, uh, <laughs> I just watched the uh, movie Frozen with my kids. And it's interesting. They got this piece right. She was not free to love, not because she hated this person or that person, but because she lived in fear. You see, and then when that fear was broken, right, she was able to love. So we are to see not hate as the opposite of love, but actually fear as the opposite of love. Christ actually uses the word hate, hate this, hate that. What does he mean? Love less, love less. But we can only do so when we see fear for what it is. That agent which the adversary uses to bind us in chains. Now, when we reconcile ourselves with God, we are made free. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we become free. When we stop with the silliness of our pride, mea culpa, we no longer have a false self to protect. We are who we are. And it, 
And, and there is the wonder of God. And so fear is another important piece to this. And when there's an absence of fear, there is trust. And certainly this highlights our reading today. Prophet, be living in, in God's providential care. What is divine providence? Divine providence is, is essentially which brings all of the dynamics of human existence into meaning. God's will governs all things. He loves all people. He desires the salvation of all, and his paternal providence extends to all nations. He uses anything and everything at his disposal to bring us into relationship with him, writing straight with crooked lines. <laughs> Just as a child does not understand why his or her parents make the decisions that they make, they have their reasons. We go to God and we don't understand. We throw our temper tantrums. <laughs> At least I do. And in time, in time, I begin to understand. So as we look into this reading and we personalize it, we are made to see that in our own lives, while we may not always understand, we have to be mindful of James' words that come to us in his opening chapter, that essentially patience perfects all things. What am I talking about? When we allow God to work in our lives and we are patient, wonderful things happen. Those who see reality permeated by God's providence gradually grow in wisdom, serenity, born of time and grace, become evident, <laughs> becomes evident to onlookers and passers-by. There is just that calm in the storm. Peace is always defined, not so much as the absence of warfare, but spiritual welfare that is gained by being in relationship with Christ. And peace is never, never then, you know, the removal of the storm, but the calm that allows you to confront the storm. Just like Jesus says, peace, be still. We are to look into the eye of the storm and say, peace, be still. And we can do this in the power of the Holy Spirit if we embrace our relationship with Jesus Christ and turn our whole lives over to him. So let us stop <laughs> and pray for the grace and desire of putting all our hope in the almighty dollar and resting in the life of the Trinity, knowing, knowing that this is where real security and comfort comes from. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.